Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast Theo Beidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring a song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus, until we hit play. Hit it. Boom. Well, to start things off. Ooh, yeah. Cracking that Sierra oh, yeah. Nevada. I'm on the classic tonight. I'm on the Pale Ale. The, uh, the original, since oh, 1980. Look at that. As am What? I. You yeah. too? Wow. This has it's rare that we're well on the same one. On the research this week, so hopefully Good, it'll serve yeah. as well on the recording. These classic bottles really bring me back. That's like one of the first craft beers. I was like, oh, this is cool, right? I'm rich. I can afford beer in a bottle. <laughs> that was hard. Yeah, and like, when our when we first met JMU, we, we weren't drinking a lot of beers and bottles, you know. So, yeah, we would like get really excited when somebody would have a Yingling keg at a party. Oh. Uh, Love that. That was that was living large. That was living large. Well, <laughs> let's get into things. I am quite excited to talk about the song that we'll be discussing tonight. It is okay. uh, one that I've been meaning to do ever since we started the podcast. Maybe it's the one I think it is. Well, I think it is. I, I was about to say, I think this is a song that for maybe the first time ever, I figured you might know exactly what we're talking about tonight. Uh, it's a strange song, of course, uh, but it's uh-huh. also oddly one of my favorites. I'm gr- I'm grinning ear to ear. It right is now. a song that I find myself coming back to more often than not. Uh, and after doing all this research, I'm, I'm certainly not the only one. We are recording on the first week of May, and if you're a college mm-hmm. student or you're yes! a young listener yes! down south, you know what time it is. Early May is graduation themed, our graduation season. So it's only appropriate that we do a graduation-themed podcast. And we're not talking about vitamin C here. So without further ado... Which we could have. We can, and we will eventually. But tonight, Mm -hmm. I'm going to take us back to 1999. And I'm going to give you our graduation speaker for the evening. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 99. This is very exciting. sunscreen. (laughs) If I could offer you only one tip for the future... Sunscreen would be it. The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists, whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. I will dispense this advice now. Enjoy. I just wanted to get to that part. Yeah, of course. Oh, man, I'm so excited about this. I, I had a feeling... That this was coming. Well, we had talked about wanting to do a graduation themed song during graduation season at some point. So I figured, given the time period, you might have a, an inkling of an idea. Yes, that's that is what brought it about. Was uh, college graduation is is near. So we were talking about the surprising hit song off Boz Lerman's album "Something for Everybody," which is also just surprising that Boz Lerman has an album. Hmm. Hmm. And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Boz quite a bit here. But there's a lot of players in this song. 
Um, I don't know how much you know about the origin of this song. I I don't really know anything. I just know it's a weird song, and it's weird that it's Boz Lerman. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and for as much as I like this song and have liked this song for close to, to uh, you know, a decade plus now, uh, or two decades, really, um, I've never really thought about the origin of this song. I think mm-hmm. I always just kind of figured it was written by Boz Lerman. Um, and I mm-hmm. hate to break it to you. It's not. And I also hate to break it. It's not, it's not him talking. It is not him talking either. I think I knew that, but I still just always figured it was him, even though I knew that. So the other big rumor is that this commencement speech was written by Kurt Vonnegut, and it was given during mm. an MIT commencement speech. Um, that is also not true. Weird. In fact, this is not even a real commencement speech, so to speak, but it, rather it was a column in the Chicago Tribune written in oh. 1997 by Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Mary Schmidt. I hope I say that correctly. Okay. It's S-H-M-I-C-H. We have many Chicagoan uh, listeners. Somebody let us know if we pronounce that right. Somebody let us know. So, <laughs> Mary was born in 1953 in Savannah, Georgia. She is the oldest of eight children. She went to college in Pomona College in California and worked in college admissions there for a few years after that before living abroad in France and then returning to the States to attend journalism school at Stanford. She would also later attend Harvard for a year or in a Neiman Fellowship for a journalist. So, she's a badass. Yeah. Mary wrote for the Chicago Tribune from 1992 to 2021, where oh. she was a Metro columnist. She got out at the right time. Well, she did, and we'll get to that. <laughs> um, she also, for the newspaper, wrote the comic Brenda Starr Reporter. Are you aware mm-hmm. of this? Mm-hmm. I was not aware of it, but funny enough, it I heard it on a recent podcast like in passing today oh and it was probably one of those like blue car things where i registered it because i've been reading about it but i didn't know about right, this. yeah she wrote the comic strip from 1985 until its last appearance in 2011 mm-hmm. uh, she was the third writer the comic was a long-lived strip set in chicago which was created by dale messick for the chicago tribune syndicate in 1940 uh so one little side another side mary uh, also worked as a professional barrel house and ragtime piano player. Whoa. And I did a little bit of research. A barrel house is like a form of jazz. Um, not terribly sure there, but interesting aside. Bar- barrel house jazz? I guess. That's what you're... Yeah. Huh. But she, this article said she was a professional barrel house. Uh, and every December since hmm. 1999, Schmitch and fellow Tribune Metro columnist Eric Zorn host the Songs of Good Cheer Holiday Caroling Party. At the Old Town School of Folk Music to raise oh, money I'm, for charity. I'm very familiar with Old Town. So I say all this because um, she obviously never expected her column to become a massive international hit yeah. song. But she clearly has music in her bones. Have we talked about Old Town uh, on, the, on the show? I don't before? believe we have. Okay. I feel like I should explain it sure. real quick. It's a big, it's a big thing. Yeah. It's a music school in Chicago. Tons of legends studied and taught there. Like the most notable is John Prine. Came out of Old Town School. Um, it's a, it's a centerpiece of the city. But what's cool about it is that all these legends, you know, legends and future legends, uh, take classes there and teach there. But any old Joe can just sign up, which is cool. Oh wow! Um, you don't have to audition or anything. So Jamie's taking some classes there. Uh, you can just go. It's pretty neat. And yeah, uh, 
it's a big part of the community and there's like a bunch of bars around it where um people from the school will just perform on any given night it's uh it's very cool so just for those of you that haven't haven't uh dived in it's definitely worth googling there's a bunch of old town school recordings uh you can find on spotify and stuff oh it's great i'll do yeah. that well mary was a big part of that and uh that makes sense because as a metro columnist she was a big part of you know the heartbeat of chicago mm-hmm. and she actually won a Pulitzer prize for a commentary in 2011 recognizing her work with the tribune citing her wide range of down-to-earth columns that reflect the character and capture the culture of her famed city. So it was in that column on June 1st, 1997 that Mary wrote the now famous column we discussed today. It was entitled advice like youth probably just wasted on the young. (laughs) And I found a, a a picture of it just uh, to She's not wrong. You don't get a lot of advice in the latter part of your life. I feel like. No, I feel like it's a very like uh, I don't know rhyme based title, which which goes along with some of the lyrics in the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, she described it as a commencement address that she would give if she were ever asked to give one. I wonder if she did ever give one. I don't believe she did. Um, mm. So she talked about the inspiration for the column in a 2017 interview with London's Telegraph. She said it was a Friday. I was on my third column of the week, and I was out of ideas. But I was walking to work along Lake Michigan, and I saw this young woman out sunbathing, and I just thought, I hope she's wearing sunscreen. I kept walking, and I thought, you know, it's graduation time. I could write a mock graduation speech for my column. I was 43 mm-hmm. then, an age where I thought I had all this advice I would like to administer to young people. So I sat down, and I wrote what I would tell 18 to 24-year-olds. In another interview, she was asked, where does all the stuff you write come from? She replied, I have no idea. Looking back, I have a whole mythology about how that column happened. I was just channeling something, whatever came to my head. It really was not super carefully considered that it was written in four hours. So somehow, wow. you know, with this uh, quick column, this somehow became a, a viral hit in the early ages of the internet. Uh, perhaps mm-hmm. one of the first things really to go viral because we're in 1997. So we're at the early stages of email, we're at the early stages of chain mail. I mean, the only things that can go viral at that time are uh, images and text and maybe, like, short sound bits. I mean, maybe. Like, looking back and, like, hearing how infantile email was at the time, like, we think back that email's kind of always been a part of our lives, but really um, was just starting to sprout. Like, people only had email if they had one through their work at this point. Like, Mm -hmm. personal email was just coming about. So we're super early stages. Uh, and as I mentioned, this commencement speech was miscredited to Kurt Vonnegut. Somewhere along the line... You mean a non-commencement speech? It's well, not even... Well, it's a, it was an imagined... It was attributed... Uh, it, it, when the emails went around, it said that this was Kurt Vonnegut's speech to MIT that year. So everyone thought it was <laughs> Who a made that up? Speech. Who was like, you know what? I'm going to send this and say... Or maybe the, a friend told them. Like, like it had been hearsay in person and then that made it onto the internet potentially i mean no one knows so i've listened that's to countless so interviews weird. with mary and boz and anyone that's involved with this and nobody has any idea where it's this so specific came from. too it's such a specific thing to to say about this yeah well i guess someone thought it might have sounded like him i don't know uh um, well kurt vonnegut too was uh i mean he was somewhat famous for like 
um, writing back to students when they would reach out to him and stuff, right? I did, yes. Well, I, again, randomly saw the other day someone had posted uh, something of that nature, like a, a you know picture of a something he wrote back to some young students. Yeah. So I guess so. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the yeah. time, the New York Times reached out to Vonnegut for a comment. He said, what she wrote was funny, wise, and charming, so I would have been proud had the words been mine. So Mary said that she had numerous conversations with Vonnegut after the fact, saying, we had some (laughs) very entertaining exchanges about it. I sometimes felt bad for him because he's one of the lionized American writers, and there was a period of years where everywhere he would go, everyone would want to talk to him about sunscreen. I felt really sorry for the guy. (laughs) So it was about uh, a month after she wrote the column that it finally took off. And apparently when it did take off, it took off like wildfire within, you know, two days, really. And at the time, mm-hmm. people started emailing and calling her, saying that she had plagiarized Kurt Vonnegut. Because people said, like, hey, I remember hearing these words that you wrote, you know, a couple weeks ago. Uh, so she was like, no, I, I wrote that. But then, of course, like, in, you know, in the back of her head, she's like, shit, like, did I somehow, like, channel Kurt Vonnegut and, like, actually copy something I'd heard, maybe? Or are they having, are they experiencing Mandela effect? Well, she was freaking out. So she called MIT to find out, uh, <laughs> you know, had Kurt Vonnegut been the commencement speaker, uh, and they said, no, it was Kofi Annan that year. So very different. <laughs> this was Kofi Annan. Kofi Annan showed up just to talk about sunscreen. <laughs> I did find some interview with uh, some graduate of MIT that year who said that Kofi Annan was kind of boring, so. Probably not. Um, That's not all that surprising. Then she finally did get a hold of Vonnegut, who said, this is the first time they talked. He goes, oh, it's you. People keep calling me. My wife called me saying, why didn't you tell me you did the commencement speech at MIT? That's amazing. For those who are unaware, Boz Lerman is an Australian film director, producer, writer, and really creative savant. His real name is Mark Anthony, but he was given the nickname. Didn't know that. You didn't know that? I didn't. I had no idea. Uh, he was given the nickname Boz. I love his hits as Mark Anthony. He's got some bops as Mark Anthony. What do you mean? You oh, know. Oh. <laughs> I, I need like, to know. What a, what a jam. <laughs> well, I was like, did he make a Mark Anthony documentary that I don't know about? <laughs> never know. No, all the songs that he recorded as Mark yes. Anthony. Oh, he am. Yeah. Prolific, uh, <laughs> prolific creator all around. Uh, no, he was given the nickname Boz because of his hairstyle as a child and the name came from the puppet character basil brush which i believe must have been australian uh check out the picture of basil brush uh i guess his oh wow okay it's like tail kind of looks like boz's hair now uh but maybe boz always had crazy gray i feel like like i've seen this fox before he did look slightly familiar yeah it looks so English. Mm-hmm. Which I guess would make sense. So, yeah. Uh, again, Boz is best known for such films as Romeo and Juliet, Moulin Rouge, The Great Gatsby, and most recently, Elvis. Mm-hmm. He also dabbled in... I liked in, Elvis. Elvis was good. Elvis was great. Yeah. Big fan. I, I, I'm a big fan of, of most of what Boz has done. I, I liked it a lot more than Gatsby, personally. I did too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but love Romeo and Juliet. Moulin Rouge, obviously great. Mm-hmm. He also mm-hmm. dabbles in opera and theater and recorded music, which brings mm-hmm. us to his album. Oh, Chicago. He did Chicago, too. Did he? Another connection. Yeah, he did. Oh, there you go. Ah. Well, so that brings us to our album today. Something for everybody. 
uh, in an interview, I heard that he mentioned that he created this album for charity, but I couldn't find much information mm-hmm. on that. Uh, regardless, the album was the brainchild of Baz, and the idea was to remix and rework songs that had been in his movies up until this point. Okay. So kind of like a compilation album of sorts. Uh, and he was working on this ahead of the work he was about to do for Moulin Rouge. So mm-hmm. I think the idea was that he would gather the collection of songs from past movies and try to get people excited about a big musical, theatrical production. Mm-hmm. So the underlying music for Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen, which is the name of the song we're talking about today, is from Romeo and Juliet. And it's a remix of Everybody's Free to Feel Good by mm. Rozella. And the okay. version that we that is sampled underneath the sunscreen song um, features Quinton Tarver. Uh, so let me send you the OG version of the song first. Again, this is Everybody's Free to Feel Good by Rosbella. Um, Which I, th- I think I know. I think I know the song. Got a big build-up. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. If you scroll to 44 seconds in, you start hearing that refrain that's been mm-hmm. on the screen song. Uh, big banger. Yeah. The Rosella is a... Was uh, this a hit? It was a hit, yeah. So, yeah, because I, I know it, yeah. Yeah, so she was born in northern Rhodesia, which is now uh, Zambia. And she's best known for three songs in the early 90s. Faith, mm-hmm. Are You Ready to Fly? And this song, Everybody's Free. Uh-huh. Uh, in 2016, Billboard listed it as the, or listed her as the 98th most successful dance artist of all time. Damn, okay. Uh, the original version was a staple in the clubs throughout Spain, and Boz was a big club goer in his early years, apparently, so he was very familiar with the song. Uh, to your point, the song reached number two in Belgium, the Netherlands, and Spain, while entering the top ten in Denmark, France, Germany, Ireland, Sweden, Switzerland, and the United Kingdom. On the Eurochart Hot 100, it reached number six, uh, and Zambia, uh, it reached number four. It also topped the U.S. It didn't reach number one in their home country? Come on. Some bullshit. What the hell, y'all? I wonder what the number one song was then. I feel like I know this more from DJ culture and, like, playing in clubs and stuff than knowing it as, like, a hit in the 90s. Probably so. Uh, It is widely regarded as one of the biggest dance anthems of the 90s, so I'm sure it has crossed over. Cool song. Great song. Yeah, very cool song. Uh, So for... Romeo and Juliet, Boz cast Quindon Tarver, who at the time was only 12 years old, and he is the choir boy in the film, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is also the one who sings Princes When Doves Cry in the film mm-hmm. and on the soundtrack. So, talk about him briefly. Uh, Quindon was born in 1982 in Plano, Texas. He grew up singing in church. He signed a record deal with Virgin Records shortly before the film, uh, and at the time, apparently was being courted. 12? At 12? Yeah, 12. Damn. Yeah. Okay. So at the time, he was being courted by Hollywood Records and one of the A&R reps Which is for... Dis- Disney's label. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. But one of the reps for Hollywood, I guess, was also helping with Romeo and Juliet. And that's how Quentin ended up on the kind of uh, radar of Boz. Got it. So let me send you to refresh your brain. His version. I have like a vivid memory of 
his character yeah, in the movie. And this is, uh, I don't think I ever realized it was this song in the movie. Hmm. I don't think I that He's so memorable for mm-hmm. Wendell's Cry. And I think I always like, yeah, remember that scene. This, uh, it's like this, this version for a lot of folks might be more well known than the original. Yeah. So Boz and his producers were working on the remix for Everybody's Free and thought it'd be cool to have some spoken word piece happening during the song. They envisioned some sort of spoken word pop hit. Mm-hmm. However, they didn't have any words to put to it until mm-hmm. one of his producers, Anton Monstead, received Mary's common column in email. However, it was, of course, credited to Kurt Vonnegut. Kurt Vonnegut. <laughs> so Anton shared it with Boz. And I'll start pulling some Boz uh, quotes here. Because uh, the first time he heard the song, he apparently said, Gee, wow, Kurt, this has to be the greatest commencement speech. Now, apparently Boz was working or maybe simply contemplating working with Kurt on an opera version of Slaughterhouse-Five. That does not surprise me at all. <laughs> not Definitely not. I, but I couldn't find a ton of information about it. Um, but uh-huh. apparently they, they knew of each other or they knew his agent. Something or another, they had a connection to, to Kurt. Um, so they didn't think that they would be able to get permission from Kurt to meet their deadline, which is two to three days away. But yeah. they rushed to get in touch with him. I read a couple different <laughs> ideas. I guess they got in touch with the agent. Kurt who, had to deal with this so much. I know. From this... this- Whatever email chain it was, it was like, Jay, check out this uh, Kurt Vonnegut thing about sunscreen. Send this to 10 friends, and if you don't, you're going to get sunburned. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> you're going to get skin cancer if you don't send this to 15 friends. To Mary's point, she felt bad that he kept getting hit up about it. He has so much else to, to, to offer to the world. Uh, but so Kurt or his agent told them about Mary, and they rushed to get Mary and the Tribune's permission, and they did, and they recorded it the next day uh wow. regarding the kurt mix-up boz likes to think it was the first official internet hoax which that might have been definitely yeah definitely close to it i would say yeah uh in a billboard article at the time or shortly at thereafter uh boz talked about his initial impressions of the of the words of the column mm-hmm. he says it has no pretense of being profound these are just some observations or suggestions because they are so honestly observed and offered, they have a profound reaction in the many people who agree or connect with the ideas. This connection between idea, observation, and audience is something fundamental in all forms of art. So the narrator of the recording, as you advice. mentioned, uh, I always thought it was Boz. It is not. Mm-hmm. It is Australian Enjoy voice actor the named Lee Perry. Beauty of your youth. Okay. Boz said, "Long not story." Lee Scratch Perry. No, but, Perry. But that, that does come up because uh, <laughs> we'll reference Jay Leno here in a bit. And I guess when Jay Leno first heard about this, he thought it was how much Scratch Perry. That would have been amazing. Yeah, so the whole connection there. But uh, Boz said, "Long story short, I thought, well, how do we make the voice?" sound like it is Don't Kurt Vonnegut. The and there's this voice Don't impersonator worry, who is absolutely brilliant called Lee Perry, and he was in okay, Australia, and he could do anyone, so we got him to record it like it was Kurt. The real I was going to say, it's not an Australian accent. No. So in an interview with Lee, um, I think this actually was the interview that he has with Jay Leno later on down the road. Uh, Lee said that they recorded it the next day in Boz's office onto a tape recorder, 
with a Walkman playing the music, one earbud in Perry's ear and the other in Bob's ear, and someone just held up the script for him to record. So as we know, the the song says to the class of 1999, the original column was for the class of 97. they recorded the version that said the class 97, but Boz figured that nobody would actually hear the song until 98 or 99 or 2000. So they recorded multiple versions of it up to 2001. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. So when did the vitamin C graduation song come out? It would have had to have been. 99? No, I think that later. Well, maybe not. Was it? Well, now I'm also thinking, what about the Eve 6 graduation song? The here's to the night. Oh, did these all come out the same year. Oh, wow, vitamin C <laughs> came out ninety nine. Wow. When did the Eve Six song come out? I didn't necessarily know that was a definitely a graduation song. I feel like it was everybody at the end of their senior year. That was, that 2000. was their two thousand. I mean, that was the end of senior year song. Was here's to the night. I yeah, feel like wow. it was, maybe it was a graduation. It was like the party after graduation or like the prom song. Yeah. But either way, you're right. Yeah. Very. Uh, these uh, are all around the same time. Very much so. That's funny. There is a lot of great advice in this song. We have a little bit of advice for you, too. Only drink good coffee. And our friends at Dark Matter Coffee can help you out with that. We can help a little bit, too. Head to their website, darkmattercoffee.com, and get some of their freshly roasted beans that are sustainably farmed and responsibly sourced. They can be delivered to your door with free shipping. Use the code wanted a hit cast. That's one word wanted a hit cast at darkmattercoffee.com and they will ship these freshly roasted beans from their HQ in Chicago, Illinois, right to your door free of charge. So check it out, darkmattercoffee.com and you can follow this sound advice. All right. So we've got the backstory. Now, how the hell did this become a hit? And uh, luckily, Boz Lerman lays it all out for us. So shortly after right, this album was complete, he went to his local radio station, uh, Triple J mm-hmm. in Australia. And in Still his words, a huge, he said, a huge uh, musical force in Australia, Triple J. Um, very much yeah. so, yeah. Um, so he said, I played it for them, talking about the whole album. And the guy who ran the station said, there is nothing on here we could possibly play. <laughs> That's it. Terrible. The whole album, you mean? This is too this is too theatrical. Everything is too long. And who cares? And it's all oh, too weird. Too theatrical, and I went, too long. So that's like a Boz Lerman movie. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So he goes, I went, oh well, so much mm-hmm. for that. However, he knew a guy who ran the arts program late at night, like 12 o'clock mm-hmm. at night, he says. Specialty show. And he goes on and says, this is what he says to the arts guy. He says, why don't I come down and talk about the new project I'm doing? But you have to play one song. Why don't you play the seven-minute one? Because it's the longest on the album, and I know it probably would never get played ever again. <laughs> so he continues. So he puts it on. As it's playing, the guy on the switchboard is tapping on the glass, and literally, like in the movies, the switchboard is lighting up with all these incoming calls. So the next morning, story. they put it on their... They put it on the morning show, and by the end of the week, it was number one in Australia on every single platform. Wow. That's incredible. I also love it. It's like so theatrical, such a movie Mm -hmm. way of of telling that story. It it very much is like a a Bosnian movie. (laughs) It's beautiful. 
So he continues the story and says, so I go to L.A. the next week and I go to KCRW. Mm -hmm. There was this great DJ who I used to listen to every time I was in L.A. And he does the same thing. He says, I'll come on, talk about the new project, but you have to play one song. The exact same thing happens. Suddenly, the record is everywhere in the U.S. Jay Leno heard it. The Jay got a choir and flew Lee Perry from Australia and put it on what? Jay Leno. Yeah. Man, that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty artistic, interesting move by Jay Leno, who was like not really viewed as uh, of the late night guys at that time. He was kind of the like pedestrian kind of guy I could offer you well so i mean tip for the future he thought it was scratch perry maybe, maybe he loved him yeah maybe dude if it were scratch perry this would be wild it is also it, it would not science. sound like this if it, it was definitely scratch perry. but it is crazy that <laughs> no basis he put on a seven minute song that's yeah. not even really a song but again super new and captivating this advice no. this is crazy Enjoy the power, beauty of your youth. It's interesting to see wait, 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 a wait, guy wait, actually wait, 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 perform wait, wait, a song. Who's sitting on the couch there? But trust me, 20 years, you look back at photos of yourself. Right, we got Kevin Eubanks, Tonight Show Band. Is that Kobe Bryant? I didn't even see it. You are not. Like we're on the couch where the fan Doesn't it look like Kobe Bryant? Oh, and I'm going to go back to it. Don't worry about the future. That's like such a quick worry, shot. But know that worrying is as effective as trying to solve oh, wow. Is it? It might be. Real I think it is, dude. Whoa. What year is this? Uh, this would probably be 99 now, right? Every day scares you. Sick. It is. It's him. Yeah. How'd you find it? Uh, so I, I searched Kobe Bryant, Lee Perry. Check out the first three pictures here. Don't waste your time on jealousy. Sometimes you're ahead. Yeah, that, that second picture of Lee Perry. Oh shit! Wow. In the end. So he's introducing a song sitting next to Kobe Bryant in 1999. That is amazing. Forget the insult. Wow, pick up this. This is like superstar Kobe Bryant. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. What a 90s moment. <laughs> nice little side there. <laughs> Big white suit. He looks like he's in a P. Diddy video. <laughs> Probably went to some of the P. Diddy's white parties, I'm sure. Oh, definitely. Uh, so that is, Love it. That is Baza's version of events. Uh, I did find some other pieces here, and I think that the version of the truth is is all mixed in here. Because according to a few other sources I read, it wasn't until Aaron Schofield, a producer in Phoenix, edited the original 12-inch version into a segment of his syndicated radio show show called Modern Mix, Mm -hmm. a show that played across the country. And in Portland, Oregon, where Modern Mix played on KNRK, listeners began requesting the track like crazy. And it was this station that apparently first edited the track down to its five-minute version. Because the original version is seven minutes long. And apparently this station was the first one to cut out the Quentin Tarver parts, the singing parts. Mm-hmm. And it was just the commencement speech, if you will. Um, KNRK began... A five-minute radio edit. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so KNRK, KNRK began playing it regularly and spreading the word to other program directors who started spinning this five-minute version. And then... It apparently wasn't until the New York Times 
wrote an article about this cult-like following that the song had in Portland that it really took off in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So I found that article, and, and in it, they talked about Mary's column and said, quote, may become the first internet crossover hit, which is a funny statement because it yeah. might actually be the first thing to like come from the internet to become shit wildly famous. Yeah. Now that's, that's most of the pop chart. Yeah, exactly. The station's program director, Mark Hamilton, said, it's definitely the most requested song we have now. This is during that time. Mm-hmm. So I will mention this now. Technically, the words belong to the Chicago Tribune. So they technically own the lyrics <laughs> to the song. Uh, however, Mary said, once it became clear what was happening, that this song was going to sell, he, talking about Baz, was quite generous with me. I have no complaints. I get royalties, although it doesn't make me rich. I'd like to point out that I'm a hardworking, average journalist. But yes, in its heyday, I got a significant payment. And to this day, I still get a little bit. But it was never calculated. I never tried to write a hit song. Well, the Tribune wasn't like, oh, well, this is ours. I guess not. And I huh. I didn't find anything. If they, if they were, it sounds like mm-hmm. Boz made sure that she got her or do so cool gotta love to hear that yeah uh there is a video it's just like a it's an illustration video i'll send it over to you i think this is maybe an appropriate time i've now. seen the video yeah Where it was definitely like all over there's nothing like like is the the main music video if i could yeah. offer you oh yeah uh, definitely the first time i ever heard this was on tv We've we've talked about the box. Maybe it was on the box, the music video request channel. They play weird shit when people requested it at night. This was a big VH1 hit, though. Oh, you're probably right. Yeah, maybe even later night on MTV too. I will dispense this. It's a great video. It's just like a very well constructed multimedia. Never mind. Video. Not understand the power I encourage all the listeners to spend time with the song because I personally feel like in 20 years, there are such amazing little nuggets of wisdom in here. Mm-hmm. And as I get older, how much it becomes more and more impactful because you, you realize how patient the words really are. You are not uh, I did find an article from Upworthy.com that talked about some of the scientific Don't research behind the some of these lines, if you will, which is kind of fun. Essentially, things like do one thing every day that scares you, which, by the way, is often miscredited to Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, which is like all of Mary's awesome advice gets miscredited to other people. so weird. Fair and fair. I mean, that's uh, like that quotation is everywhere all the time. Yeah. But she wrote it. Uh, and and this article says, research shows that the greatest opportunity for personal growth is to step outside of one's comfort zone. Also, when exposed to our fears, we have the greatest chance of overcoming them. And the article goes on. If you want to research it, they have um, many different pieces of, of studies done, uh, including the line, be nice to your siblings. They're the best link to your past and people most mm-hmm. likely to stick with you in the future. That's a great there's, uh, there's a study done that had something to do with uh, the, your... Later in life, people in the middle age, their mood, health, moral, morale, stress, depression, everything is linked to how you feel about your brothers and sisters. So uh, lots of interesting research mm. that goes along with some of the great advice in the song. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting similar vibes from uh, from our Evangelist episode. Yeah. 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 Well, let's talk about the reception to the song. Um, 
The Daily Record wrote, Baz Luhrmann's single is the biggest spoken word hit since J.J. Barry topped the hits with No Charge in 1976. Do we know this song? We don't. That's why I bring it up. What about They're Coming to Take Me Away? Ha ha. <laughs> True. Well, actually, this song came out in uh, this song. Came up to his mom Barry when he got 72. So. While she was fixing supper. It's like a... Do you know this one? No. But I figured we could add it to our list of songs for the future. Totally. Ooh, this video is so 70s. Oh, yeah. Oh, so it's like a country song, but with spoken word. Yeah. For making my own bed this week, one dollar. This was broadcast on Christmas. I'm going to tell y'all... Of our listeners out here, it's not nearly as good. As, uh, it's definitely not as good. Come to take me away, or everybody's free. So. I'm gonna listen to it so I can get this whole story. Yeah, well, yeah. Hmm. James Oldman of Enemy commented, "Unless you have been holidaying on Jupiter for the last two months, <laughs> this remarkable and potentially nauseating record will have you will have burrowed its way deep into your subconscious by now." Lerman's postmodern masterpiece is half pistic half soul soothing brain massage and all genius a diy pop landmark for the end of the self-help decade buy this record 20 years from now in ways you can't even begin to imagine today you'll be glad you did which is a reference to the song yeah but also like thinking about the ways we're now experiencing this song 20 ways years we on. couldn't imagine yeah. like you know watching on youtube talking about it on a podcast true <laughs> over a zoom call yeah. yeah, right? Yeah. Huh. Uh, in the same Billboard article that I referenced earlier, talking about the meteorical rise of the song on American radio, and I quote some other program directors, Sarah Trexler of Austin's KROX, K-Rox, said, it is the most requested song we've ever had, bar none. I think the only mm. thing that's even comparable is We Are the World. <laughs> Which I don't know if she means like request-wise or that she can compare the, the two of being like, I don't know, but in a very like self helpy mm, interesting. Uh Joanne Duty of WXRV in Boston said it's absolutely the most response we've ever received. It's just so uplifting, she said. It's advice that you already know, but nobody's ever put it together in one neat little succinct place. Plus, it puts together so well. With a great voice and music that really works. Mm. Uh Sarah Trechler I mentioned earlier, added on I think it says it's okay to be you, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bert Baumgartner, who's the VP of promotion at Capital at the time, said, I've been involved with everyone from New Kids in the Block to Mariah Carey, and I don't know if I've ever seen anything explode like this. It touches everyone. <laughs> Teens and adults, men and women. Yeah. It takes passive listeners and makes them active. I think that's why it's having success at every kind of format and every type of radio station. Which I added in there because I think that's such an interesting point. Because I imagine yeah, if you were driving along, is. you heard the song, you do become an active listener immediately. And you're like, mm-hmm. what the fuck is this? I have to <laughs> figure this out, you know? Yeah, and people of all ages will perceive it in their own way. But I think it's applicable to anybody. Yeah, it's interesting because I heard it, what, when I was 12, 13 years old? Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. probably... Yeah, probably reheard it, listened to it again when I was mm-hmm. graduating and had had sure. emphasis, or, or you could like try to take it as advice and, and try to think about how you might apply it to your life. But it's interesting mm-hmm. now, listening to it at thirty five or thirty four, wherever I am, 
and being like, wow, like some of these yeah. pieces of advice have kind of come and gone almost because mm-hmm. I'm now like living in it. Or I don't know, it's interesting to keep revisiting it at different times in, in my life. So I can only imagine being 50 years old, 60 years old, hearing the song for the first time in 99 and, and how you might feel about it. Is the entire uh, background sampled from the everybody's the original everybody's free Boz Lerman's version of it because it would have already been slowed down completely and changed for Roman Juliet so it's that oh thing. right 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 the, so the it is it's a sample version. of a sample mm-hmm. but it's all comes from that original yeah yeah, yeah. song right yeah. which is yeah much slower than her original version yeah yeah because hers is like a house jam yeah it's a banger hmm so where do you think it charted? I assume it ended up on the Hot 100. Uh, but I'm so curious where, it, and this leads into another question I'll ask in a little bit, but uh, I, I'm also curious like what other charts it was on. It feels like it should have been on the dance chart, I guess. Um, but as far as Hot 100 goes, or it might have been on alternative too. Because like a lot, some alternative music was sounding like this at that time. Um, Hot 100, let's go 15. It's long. There's a lot of stations that wouldn't play a song that long. It's strange. It's spoken word. I'm going 15. All right. Well, first off, I'm glad you asked all those questions that I have no answer to. Uh, <laughs> actually, I do, I guess. It didn't chart any of the other of the charts because I would have seen it on the Billboard list. So, right. Um, this is a uh, weird one. So, Again, going back to what we talked about with the Portland radio station, if mm-hmm. there is truth to that, this song was edited down to five minutes prior mm-hmm. to the record label or Boz doing so themselves. Mm-hmm. So this song... And even five is like, that's a non-starter for a lot of stations. Right. But I say that because this song charts at number 24 on the Billboard Hot 100 Airplay. Mm-hmm. And then apparently, a couple weeks later, it will peak at number 45 on the Hot 100. And from what I can surmise is that it peaked at radio first, and then the the label finally caught up, was able to release a five-minute version as a commercially viable product, and thus, it only peaks at 45 on the Hot 100, because at that time, while sales are going up, radio station airplay is going down. Well, the other thing, too, is that they are different versions of the song, so they're not going to chart yeah. together. So the the initial seven-minute version wouldn't the, count. Because the Hot 100 is, is a combination of sales and radio play. Yeah. If the album is selling and the single is selling, if they even made a single at that point, and it's seven minutes, that's a different song than the five-minute song. Right, so they that, can't combine to be on the Hot 100. It's two different entries. Right. So when they finally mm. released the five-minute version, that going up and right. the radio sales going or radio play going down uh-huh. hits us at 45. So Interesting. doesn't chart very high. Yeah. Uh, it does peak at, when was this? April 17th, 1999. Mm-hmm. And uh, TLC's No Scrub. Right, that's one. right before graduation. It is, yeah. Uh, so we got No Scrubs at number one. Believe by I mean, Cher at number two. God, two knockout songs. Mm-hmm. Buster Rhymes, What's It Gonna Be at number three. Shit, uh, Buster Rhymes and Janet Jackson. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Every song. Morning by Sugar Ray at number four. Heartbreak Hotel 
at uh, by Whitney Houston, number five. Damn, that number song was six, that late. We've got that's Kiss Me by Sixpence None the Richer. Oh, great song. Yeah. <laughs> number seven, we've got I Still Believe by Mariah Carey. Mm-hmm. Number eight, coming down from number one, we have Angel of Mine by Monica. Man, women are just dominating. Oh yeah. Uh, Bewitched, Say Slavi. Uh, oh. And number ten. Oh, what a have, weird song! Number ten, we have Joey McIntyre. Stay the same, dude. Joey McIntyre. I heard him on a podcast this morning. Actually, oh wow, that, it relates to the mailbag. Oh, interesting. Oh, this is perfect. Yeah. Well, I look forward to getting there. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else we have on the list that's coming down from number nine. From number one. Oh, we got Baby One More Time coming down from number one. Ooh. Uh. With Angel by Sarah McLaughlin, that only popped at four. Um, Have You Ever by Brandy, that that's coming down mm-hmm. from number one. Man, Brandy had hits. The rest of these are all either going up or... Dude, the women are just, like, there's, like, barely any dudes to speak of except Joey McIntyre. <laughs> well. It's wild. What are you going to say? Yeah. But yeah. Uh, Parodies and covers. I don't have any covers here. I'm sure there are. Well, I found a couple that were like people who did it. Yeah, nothing, whatever. nothing at, at all. Maybe notable. some remixes. I couldn't find a lot of remixes Interesting. or sampling. There has to be a lot of that somewhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just but even like our go to sites for that stuff didn't have a lot of information. I don't huh. know if that's because who sampled didn't have much. No, yeah. Huh. Um, there is one notable parody, which I don't mm. think I fully... This this rings a bell. You know? I can't think of it, though. I, I, I'm ready I for this. What is this? I didn't fully consider Ladies this. Ladies and gentlemen, but of it the is. GED class of 1999. Oh, absolutely. God, this was huge, too. All my no buddies were listening to this at Sleepovers. You. Chris Rock, no, no sex in the champagne room. The yes. Champagne room. Oh my God, it is. the song, and I never fully realized it. Oh, Me neither. Champagne in the champagne room. Because when, at the age where I thought but this was funny, I never would have put two and two together. You want yeah, sex. Right? And there's no sex. Oh my God, the video the too. Is, the video looks, looks like it. Yeah. Pretty wild. I, I don't know, for some don't reason, I never can. Holy shit. Sure, it feels safe inside. Uh, Do you think Will Smith slapped him? He was like, this is from Boz. What's that? Do you think when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, he whispered, this is from Boz? If a woman tells you she's 20 (laughs) and looks 16, (laughs) she's 12. Actually, this song now is way more brilliant than Chris Rock song than I ever considered. I mean, like, we thought it was funny when we were kids because he says funny shit that we giggled about. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, super fucking great. Because Chris Rock's, you know, his comedy album at the time was possibly committed all yeah. those crimes. And somebody's older brother Julio had the CD of Sleepover. We would put it on. Uh-huh. Holy shit. This is blowing my mind, man. Wow. This really is a parody of everybody's free to wear sunscreen. I had no idea. Wow. I have to assume that Weird Al tried, wrote some, you know, yeah. tried to figure it out. But like, I, I think there's a or or uh, Adam Sandler maybe. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I think once Chris Rock did, he couldn't. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. I just think there's something really innocent about the song and mm-hmm. beautiful that, like, I think someone like Weird Al 
who's not trying to be dirty or crass or, or yeah yeah mm-hmm. like i think he probably tried and was like yeah like this doesn't land like yeah weird al's not mean-spirited that's kind of his, no. his thing however it, it's interesting because uh like going back to the jay leno performance isn't that kind of a cover <laughs> even though it's this the vocalist that's in it uh it's like an interpretation of boz's track because it's like a live it's like a live performance and boz isn't even there <laughs> yeah i guess so. I'm like, <laughs> certainly well i actually read that i mean obviously this is a a song that had no touring to it yeah did lee do other performances or just jay leno that was no it? no there's, yeah. There's, yeah no he was busy huh. doing his own thing yeah and like i said that for a couple like on one hand lee's apparently like a very very successful voice actor mm-hmm. uh boz talked about the recording and was like this guy is just like really cool like he showed up in a porsche and like <laughs> clearly <laughs> i think at the time and i didn't i didn't realize that Roman and Juliet was, was pretty panned at the time. Yeah, and it was. So, like, Boz is huge in Australia, but he's not mm-hmm. huge internationally yet. So, I think this dude showed up, and he was like, oh, shit, Lee Perry's actually, like, a very cool dude. So, I don't think Lee cared to do anything. And then, <laughs> when this song finally blows up, they are, like, deep in production of Moulin Rouge. So, Boz talks about it being like, I didn't, I mean, I kind of knew it was happening, but, like, wasn't really paying attention. It's not really my thing. That's great. To do. So it's a funny song because there's nothing like to capitalize off of it, you know? Yeah, there's really not. Uh, Did, uh, what, what else, what else, is there anything else that Lee's done that we know? Happy Feet. Uh, He does both Happy Feet and he's different, uh, voices. He did some voices for Mad Max Fury Road. Mm. Um. Which I think was filmed in Australia. He did a ton of stuff. I mean, he's huge in Australia. All these, all these are in Australia and all these stuff. Yeah. Um. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Lee. Lee. I did read that some people have been called out a few times for using this song as an actual graduation speech without giving proper credit. <laughs> uh, I read, I read somewhere. That's so dumb. So dumb. <laughs> I read, I read somewhere that a high school princess. Hey, you're quoting Kurt Vonnegut, you piece of shit. <laughs> I'm not. I'm stealing from Mary. <laughs> it's Boz Lerman, man. <laughs> No, I did read that. Uh, that one line, Delano Roosevelt, I swear. No, I read that uh, <laughs> one principal was actually fired over this issue. However, I couldn't find anything to verify that. What I did find... Plagiarism in academics is very serious. Well, so there was one principal at Springsteed High School in Tampa, Florida, named Susan Duvall. Mm. And in 2005, she gave this speech and didn't credit anyone like gave it as her own everyone loved it obviously because it's fucking awesome and uh she was reprimanded there weren't a couple people there that were like huh. you have to assume right right but you have to, even at, staff at least parents yeah i mean i don't know uh either way when i looked her up she was still working or just retired from that same school district so clearly she didn't get mm. fired but she was reprimanded um at first, she made some bullshit excuse, but, you know, fuck her. Right. Uh, it is the last song on Now. That's what we call it, music. Volume 2. Volume 2. Okay. The song is played at the end credits of the 2000 film The Big Kahuna, starring Kevin Spacey and Danny DeVito. Oh, I vaguely remember that film. I don't know. I, I, I vaguely remember the name of the film. 
the song Vielleicht became a massive international hit, so Vielleicht of course it was recorded in Vielleicht other languages. Kinder. Couldn't find Vielleicht too many, but I did find the one uh, from Belgian German, which is Vielleicht pretty fun to see. Watch that there. Oh. I can hear that. that. I like that all. Was Sie auch that makes sense. Loben Sie sich nicht zu viel und tadeln Sie sich nicht. Die Hälfte Ihrer Entscheidungen sind yeah. Zufall bestimmt. Und so geht es allen. This works. Haben Sie Freude an Ihrem Körper. So I think in a, uh, for a more meaningful legacy, I, th I think it's worth noting here. Um, that not a lot of people, including both of us, knew that this was written by a woman at the time. And I thought it was written by Boz. Mm -hmm. I think I like vaguely sure. remember this Kurt Vonnegut rumor, but when I was that age, that wouldn't have meant anything to me. It's definitely one of, that I had heard and until tonight might have thrown thrown in the hat. Yeah, certainly. Um, and I know I've spent a couple of days with the song now knowing that it was written by Mary and, and mm -hmm. in doing my research, I am not nearly the only person who listens to it differently now and hears it differently now, knowing that the woman penned the lyrics originally. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There's a great BBC documentary. And I, I say that, that way, I think it's audio only. It might have been a podcast. It was, mm -hmm. I found some, some, annotations to this that was documentary the only thing i could find was audio but it's it's fantastic and um in it a lot of women talk about how like empowering the song is now they know a woman wrote it and mary mentions that still to this day she gets a tons of tons of letters and uh emails thanking her for writing it and, and telling that her how like it changed her life and it changed her life and more knowing that a woman wrote these lyrics um and mary addresses all this saying let me say To begin with, I love this recording. I love Lee Perry's voice. And I think it was the correct choice for the time. But times mm -hmm. have changed. And I'm going to say something I don't really mean here. I think in 1997, part of the success of the piece does have to do with the prominence of the men whose names were attached. Mm -hmm. If this had never been attributed to Kurt Vonnegut, it never would have gone out into the world in this way. And so I'm really grateful that it did. If Boz Lerman had not chosen to record it, it would never have gone out into the world. Lee Perry's version of it is beautiful. So it did take, at the time, the names, the stature, the talent of those men, each in a different way, to put this out into the world. We are in a different world now, and I think the world would be more receptive to a woman's voice saying these thoughts. I think a woman who wrote these things might be able to get heard on her own a little bit better. You think it's like yeah. a very beautiful way. Absolutely. And it's true in a way. And I think it's cool yeah, it's so to think about the fact that like this column wouldn't have gone beyond Chicago had someone not miscredited it to Kurt Vonnegut. Like, that's probably just reality, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. And mm -hmm. like respect to Mary for being like, yeah, it is what it is. And, and again, I don't think she's like a billionaire off of this by any means. It's not like it's mm -hmm. some self-aggrandizing thing. No, but it's uh it's definitely a pretty pretty cool feather in her hat and I I'm can't say for certain cuz I don't know Mary but fame and fortune may be less important than the messages she gets from people reaching out saying it changed their lives or changed their perspective on their lives or even had greater meaning than that for a writer like what more can you really hope for Yeah from everything that I've read and heard from mary like she's just awesome and i 100 agree mm -hmm. with everything you said and that, that is absolutely true 
Uh, On the same sentiment, Boz said, the thing about the choice of the gender of the speaker just came organically, really, out of making the point that we thought it was Kurt Vonnegut. And it was a hoax. Mm -hmm. Honestly... Well, it's kind of jokey, right? That they had somebody read it as Kurt Vonnegut. Well, yeah, so he, he says, honestly, the sort of idea came from, well, let's just keep the hoax going. You know, what does it matter? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he says... Which is funny. I think that's funny. No, no I totally think so, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then he says, but what I think is really true about it, and I think absolutely I would do this if I did it again, is that the gender of who does it should not interfere with the sentiment and the ideas. Now, mm-hmm. having said that, I think Hamlet could have been played by a woman i've always tried to put a lot of light on the fact that mary wrote this and he followed up saying that he would love if they did a version where mary was a speaker and he encouraged the bbc to do that in the program which they did what oh cool enjoy the power and beauty of your youth oh never mind you will not understand the power and beauty of your youth until they've faded but trust me in 20 years, you'll look back at photos of yourself and recall in a way you can't grasp now how much possibility lay before you and how fabulous you really looked. You are not as fat as you imagine. Don't worry about the future. Oh, this is cool. Worry, this is really cool. know that worrying is as effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubblegum. She the sounds awesome, too. Are apt to be things that never cross your worried mind. Uh, especially that part about weight, like really, is different coming from a woman. Well, that's yeah. Do so a lot of the every day that scares pieces you. that I read with that part and the uh, don't read don't be magazines. They only make you feel mm-hmm. ugly. Don't uh, people who are reckless right. with And yours. I think there is a bigger Lost. weight when a woman says knowing that she wrote those. Cool. Clear. Total, I just felt it just now. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And I can only imagine, I'm not a woman, obviously, but I can imagine a woman. This would be way more real, because hearing Lee Perry say it, it's kind of like, okay, like a man can say that, but like, he doesn't really know. If you succeed in doing this, you know, I got it. It's super cool that she recorded that version, and that we can know the truth. It's really neat. Yeah. So where are they now? Mary continued to write her column, like I said, until 2021. Uh, with the changing landscape of newspapers, she was one of dozens at the Tribune who took a buyout when the new ownership came in. The Washington Post wrote about her illustrious career, saying, In 29 years as a columnist for the Chicago Tribune, Mary Schmidt was often adored and occasionally reviled, reviled by readers. As are all good newspaper columnists, she wrote thousands of columns that poked... Especially in Chicago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she wrote thousands of columns that poked, prodded, and she hoped, soothe some heartache in her adopted metropolis Hmm. mostly she says she tried to provide the connective tissue that seemed to be fraying in civic life the classic metro column helped people understand the place they live including the places they wouldn't ordinarily go in her farewell column she wrote there are many columnists better at opinion and analysis i admire them at the same time i've always believed that stories are a quiet form of opinion that the ones we choose to tell reflect and shape the values sometimes better than arguments alone. Mm-hmm. In that column, she also talked about the old days of the newspaper business and talking about when smoking was banned in one of her newsrooms, she said, the cigar-chomping music critic climbed on his desk and furiously puffing whacked the new smoke detector out of the ceiling. 
And I bring that up only because that would absolutely be me if I was a newspaper critic in like 1970 when they're like, can't smoke anymore. I'd be like, fuck that noise. <laughs> I know that the timing doesn't work out, but I really picture it being Jim DeRogatis <laughs> doing that. Well, the, so the, this, uh, <laughs> that would have been her time, and she spent time in Orlando. So it was the Orlando time. Uh, she did publish a short gift book adaptation of the essay, where sunscreen, a primer for real life, in 1998, and a 10th anniversary edition of the book was published in 2008 as well. Uh, she still lives in Chicago. And uh, <clears throat> according to Facebook, uh, she seems to be a yoga teacher, uh, and it seems like she is cool. still uh, doing her charity concert every December. Yeah, so she's still very yeah. uh, involved there, which is rad. I I didn't know about that show she did there, and I I lived down the street from there oh, for a while. So, huh? That's uh, cool. Would have been fun if you had been to one. That's the whole Chicago connection is is super neat, and it's. Uh, also, the Tribune has gone through a lot of turmoil in the last few years, uh, so it's it's nice to hear about some of it, you know, something from its heyday, one of the best things from the Tribune from over the years. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Razala, who originally released Everybody's Free, continued to make mm-hmm. music through the 90s and into the 2000s. Uh, she seemingly still tours and makes music to this day. And she also, at one point, toured with Michael Jackson, which is pretty rad. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Uh, sadly, Quentin Tarver uh, had a rough life post the success of Romeo and Juliet. Oh, no. Uh, it would later come out that he was abused by his manager and producer. And because of that trauma, he started abusing substances um, and at one point tried to take his own life. However, oh my God. he went to rehab and was turning his life around and was starting to create music again, but he was unfortunately killed in a 2021 auto accident at the age of oh. 38. Oh, my God. I did, to lighten, lighten things up a little bit, I did read some great quotes from him about his experience filming Romeo and Juliet. Um, it mm-hmm. sounded like it was an awesome experience for the then 12, 13-year-old. Uh, he got to hang with Leo a lot. Leo apparently took him under his wing, talked about, like, watching movies and, like, eating chicken wings with Leo in their hotel room. Cool. Um, Boz was also a huge fan, uh, and he compared him at the time to a young Aretha Franklin. Wow. Both, okay. Both of uh, Tarver's songs on Roman Juliet were two of the absolute biggest, and mm. the album was going to sell 40 million copies worldwide. It's pretty wild. Um, Anton Super Monstead, wild. he was the one who received the email with Mary's film in the first place. Um, he's <laughs> a... Music executive and music supervisor. Uh, he's a longtime collaborator with Boz. He was the, I think he was Boz's assistant on Roman Juliet. Um, but mm-hmm. since then, he has collaborated on every single production that he has done, most recently Elvis. Um, and he was recently tapped by Amazon Studios as a team's new head of music for Amazon Original Movies. Um, mm-hmm. In addition, work, in addition to work that he's done with Boz, uh, he's also worked on Hidden Figures, Logan, and The Greatest Showman. Wow, Boz Lerman. Continues to be Boz. Uh, as I mentioned, his most recent project was Elvis, and I'm sure his next project will be something epic as well. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with Boz, or you like Boz a little bit, but you don't know much about his life, there are several fascinating interviews and articles giving you a look inside his head and his eccentric life. Uh, him and his wife, CM, seem to be an amazing power couple. And if you enjoy NYC house porn as much as I do, I encourage you to look at the article from the Rob Report showcasing <laughs> their uh, recent sale of their NYC townhome, which is 
just absolutely amazing. And they're selling it for $20 million. Oh, okay. Should that be our new uh, podcast, HQ? <laughs> Maybe so. Uh, <laughs> there's a studio. Well, there's like a creative studio and, and realm in the, in the attic. So maybe the way to wrap up these shows, we talk about why it became a hit. And uh, this is one of those episodes where we know uh, it's very detailed, which I think probably most detailed chronological. Of why I think it it's the a most de- one of the most detailed. Yes. The trajectory of it, of, of how it took off and how, cause there's been a few where like, I don't know. Yeah. Just kind of happened. It's a weird song. And, and it, you know, the, the story of the song is amazing, but then we don't exactly know how it ended up in the ears of all these people. Yeah. Uh, cause it's not always as well documented, but it, you know, not only are there so many people involved in this one who are well documented people, yeah. uh, and writers and creators and people who are interviewed all the time yeah. that we can piece it together as a bit of an oral history like you did. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, this, a lot of the story is in the creation of the song and came from there. It's pretty awesome. Uh, and, you know, I always love to end with some quotes here. So first with Boz, uh, talking about, this was years later, so I'm, I'm a more recent interview, um, but him talking about his initial feelings was, he said, I was moved by it. When I read those words, maybe you're ahead, maybe you're behind, but at the end, the race is with yourself. And then he also read it saying, don't read beauty magazines. They only make you feel ugly. And he said, I still read be- uh, fashion magazines, but the truth is it's all full of wisdom. And he said, mm-hmm. I heard stories that some mother, young mother, would hear the song and pull over and start weeping. How I feel about it? In a world where it's difficult to make anything of use, make anything and it touches you or, or is helpful or uplifts you or moves you or somehow gets you through the day even, then you feel useful. I don't want to be glib and say, oh, I feel useful, but, you know, you haven't actually wasted your time. We live in a world where you have everything, in the physical world, but in culture. You have so much stuff, and you know it's good when something comes along, and it's not just another piece of stuff, you know? It's a very bad mm-hmm. way of saying something. And then yeah, Mary, <laughs> Mary, when asked if her column was ever going to be something, she said, that's the lesson in it, about writing, especially for journalists. We come in and we do it day after day, and you're never sure what's penetrating. And it's work. Even if you like it, it's work. But if you just do it and do it and do it and do it, every now and then, when you least expect it, something pops out into the universe and resonates in a bigger way than you ever anticipated. And that's the story of the sunscreen song. I mean, I think Mary's sentiment relates to anything that we're, whether it's our day job or just something we're passionate about the more you do it the more you share it something is going to come out of it something will shake out somebody will be so affected by it or multiple people will be eventually yeah if you just keep keep doing what you do that you love another another addition to amazing wisdom that we've gotten from mary unbeknownst to us in our, in our, ah, in our related years. to our conversation about the podcast yeah, yeah. <laughs> might be 300 episodes so there's one that people are like this episode is this story you got to hear this is nuts hey, like, maybe it's this one know. maybe it's this <laughs> one maybe it's this one um and and lee is still doing his voice acting yeah apparently it? uh yeah i should have yeah. him up as well um but yeah i think he's still still driving his porsche and still doing his uh, voice acting 
I really enjoyed that you uh you did a kind of where are they now on on everybody everybody involved in the song like it wasn't just pause or well, all pretty integral you know that's cool yeah totally because totally. there's like yeah every person in that part had they not existed in the story this song would not be a thing period and all people who were doing pivotal things in the 1990s yeah. like things that that were monumental in the 90s um it's interesting it's a real time capsule really yeah i i have i i have the question i was talking about earlier that i that i didn't want to interject with then but was related to the charts it was just the in terms of genre did you come across anything about the the musicality of the song and how it fit into the landscape because i hear this and I know it's Boz Lerman, so he's he's not known as a musician. But this kind of fits into like the Fatboy Slim Moby kind of vibe where it's like, you know, electronic or sample beat with some with this another sample over it, which they be recorded, but like um or they recorded, you know, a, a spoken word vocal. But I don't know, it kinda has that element where it's like it feels like it's a sample. Uh, of speaking or singing over another sampled beat, and it's piecing things together, and it's right at that time. It's right at ninety nine when those guys were were doing a lot of that. Yeah, and I think you see that in the soundtrack to Roman Juliet. I think you see a lot of those elements. Yeah, um, right. But I think to answer your question, no. But I think if you like reading between the lines and everything that I heard, I, I think that and not to be like. A merry fanboy here, but I think the the lyrics, the words were just so profound and being introduced mm-hmm. in such a way. And I think mm-hmm. you know, being introduced with this like really awesome, powerful voice that I think that was the thing that captured everyone's attention. And the music beneath right. it just allowed you to kind of go with it. And it was almost like a flow where I don't know that people really. I had no idea it came from a big Euro dance hit or anything of that nature. Like, I don't think people connect to any of right, that yeah. really. And I don't know mm-hmm. that you would in America, at least if you didn't know of that song really, or I hear you're saying, but yeah. I did. Was it ever on pure moods? Cause uh, <laughs> it's also got kind of that element a little bit. There's a little yeah, bit because of the it's li- a little bit. It's got the, but it's got the, and it's got the sampled, you know, vocals in the background. Well, I think that one, there's, there's one quote about orchestral singing. There's one quote about, um, this being the end of the self help decade. And yeah, that actually right. might also go to the <laughs> point of why were there so many songs this time, like Vitamin C's graduation mm-hmm. and Here's to the Night of like mm-hmm. closing things down, like ending a decade, ending right. a millennia. Closing time. We are, we are working towards Y2K and, you know, everyone, it's just a weird time, I think. It's a, a, we, we talked about it with um, another song recently about the end of the decade was just such a, or end of the millennia, was just such a weird... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I am 65. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was the last episode, which this has... I was thinking there are some connections here, for sure, especially with, like, the dawn of the internet yeah. and, uh, you know, how that made us all feel and how we share information and bo- both songs, I think, exemplify that a little bit. And I think that goes to Baz's last quote there about like the world is moving so quickly now there's so much stuff there's so much culture mm-hmm. influence that it's hard for something to to take root and it's hard for something to actually make an impact and i mean yeah 
you know, you look at what Mary's talking about, and I just watched Roe Jr.'s uh, speech at the, uh, the the press dinner for the president. Uh, the, the White correspondence House Center. Uh, Correspondence yeah. Center. Uh, yeah. And there's this, like, uh, you know, we're seeing local journalism kind of go out the window. There's just no money in it. So people, you know, mm-hmm. people aren't doing it. And, mm-hmm. you know, Mary was a Metro columnist, and she talks about, a lot about, in some of her interviews, about how, like, the entire point of Metro Columnist is to kind of be this like heartbeat of the city and for you to like recognize sure. these mundane things that have some sort of attachment or talk about really the nuances of the, of the yeah, town. She, she talks about, uh, yeah. and I, I should have brought some more of this in there for, just for you personally. Um, she talks about a lot of like race relations in Chicago and housing in Chicago. And, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people credit her for, bringing some real stories into these politically charged issues and kind of shining a light on like, you know, it's so easy to talk about housing and infrastructure and politics mm-hmm. and money, but like, let's talk about the people that are actually affected by these things or not affected by these things. Yeah. And that's what a Metro columnist does. And they also point out the silly nuanced things that make us laugh. Right. But if little well, cultural, little cultural nuggets that make those places yeah. special, but if we're, if we're losing that, you know, because you, as as when the internet, and she talks about a lot in some of her interviews that are from like mid two thousands and mid teens, where you know we're at where we're at now. We're like the internet's taking over. Everything needs to be kind of universal. It's so hard to like be local mm-hmm. and be doing that. And so it is. It is hard. I know all all that going back to like the the dawn of the money the internet. Like you know something like this just resonates where still resonates but mm-hmm. i don't know if something like this could be a thing now i don't know maybe yeah maybe so we do have a mailbag uh and it's it's not a mailbag that that uh maybe it's not a mailbag because it wasn't sent in to us it's something that i heard that i had to bring up because it relates to a past episode and i think could also influence the way we talk about some songs in the future on the show. Mm. Um, and it does somewhat relate to Joey McIntyre. <laughs> so uh, I didn't know about this podcast until last week, but it's been out for a couple years. Um, and I think it's concluded, but uh, Dave Holmes of MTV fame oh, is yeah. now, the, he's now the editor in chief at Esquire. Oh, um, yeah. Super cool guy from what I can tell. I've always, I've followed him for a long time and just seems like a thoughtful pop culture, uh, fanatic, just like us. Love that. Um, and he goes into that a lot on this podcast. He has, so he has a new show or sorry, he doesn't have a new show. He has a show, uh, that started in 2021 that's called waiting for impact. And I highly recommend it. I'm on episode five, I think. And it's, it's fantastic. It's heartwarming. It's funny. It's insightful. Um, he essentially is searching for a band that was in the Boys to Men Motown Philly video. Okay. But hasn't been seen since or heard from since. And he's like searching for this band that's in this video. Wow. And it's incredible. And he ends up talking to all these people from that era of music and, and people who had similar, uh, you know, had connections to it or had careers. Um, that were, you know, uh, 
seeming to be bright and then the industry grinded them down and but they they're also helping him solve this mystery and he himself has had a really interesting career uh you know that that you know he he got second place on the vj contest so right. and look at him now um it's a fantastic show highly recommend it but they uh there's an episode where they're talking about how early 90s the music landscape really shifted and was going from kind of you know adult contemporary and like bubblegum pop and uh glam metal glam rock moving into darker territory gangster rap grunge etc punk and uh directly relates to some of our episodes especially our smells like teen spirit episode and they end up talking about nirvana and i know that we made a big stink on our episode about how nevermind uh ended up kicking bad michael jackson bad out of the top spot yeah. and that was such a huge deal because it's this heavy record uh that's very punk influenced and very different than anything else out there knocking michael jackson out of the top spot well i didn't know this but in 1991, SoundScan was introduced. Ah. And prior to that, record stores were just like willy-nilly reporting their sales. There was no automated system whatsoever. Wow. <laughs> and I hadn't have thought about this. I should have known this, but it, it's just it, it hasn't ever come up when we've been talking. So uh, Dave Holmes describes it as a system that was fudgeable. Well, uh, I had always heard, and I never really fully thought into all this. Like, but I guess this was probably pre-sound scan. Mm-hmm. I'd always heard that the it was based on records shipped, not records yeah. sold. So I had heard that there were times when record labels would just ship a fuck ton of albums to record stores, knowing that majority would get returned. But they were just trying to goose the numbers for that week's sales, or that right. month's sales, or whatever. Because the only way they could keep track of it, I guess, ahead of any kind of like sound scan knowledge, was that well, we ship forty million records of this song that nobody mm-hmm. ever heard of to the to the stores. Because you could you could send a record, and if it didn't sell, the store could return it and get their whole value back. To the label. But that that would make sense for LPs too, because you can't return LPs because they get damaged. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's uh, and even now that's how it is. Yeah. Stores can't return LPs. Uh, but cassettes and CDs, those are going to stay. Those will be fine yeah. in the mail going back. Uh, so that totally makes sense. Um, there's all kinds of uh, mystery around it. But once SoundScan happened, uh, that's the scans of the register. That is real time data. Of what is selling. So what ha- what happened? Yes, I think taste changed, and I think some of these musical revolutions were happening, such as gangster rap and grunge, etc. But it's also that the things that were actually selling as albums in stores that the kids were buying were being counted into the Hot 100. Finally, wow! So now we're seeing. Oh, they're buying all these records from Sub Pop. Oh, they're buying all these records from Death Row, but those aren't those aren't radio hits. Yeah, so because- those weren't in the chart before, but now they're in the chart because they're being scanned properly. And the indie labels at the time, 
it was hard for them to get on the charts because they weren't able to fudge well, the numbers if, like majors were. So yeah, if we're, if we're on the same wavelength, like at the time, a sub pop could probably only ship what they knew they could sell. Mm-hmm. Whereas a right. Sony yeah. or an RCA or whatever could could ship ten times the amount. They don't care if it comes. The shit back. wasn't getting played on the radio. Yeah, doesn't totally. matter. So what happened was they flipped the switch on SoundScan over the new year that year and bad was number one at christmas once the new year hit and they flipped the switch nevermind was getting scanned like crazy at registers wild and also dave holmes makes this point about uh people using gift certificates and a lot of teenagers were getting gift certificates to record stores so they were all after Christmas buying Nevermind. And that was Sam had to get, in the wall. They had to get Nevermind. And that was getting scanned. So as soon as the first week of January hit, Nevermind had racked up so many sales at the register that it was being pushed into the Hot 100. And it it wasn't just airplay. It wasn't even really airplay that Nevermind that got Smells Like Teen Spirit wow. up there. And then radio was starting to play it, but pop radio had to follow suit because they have to play what's what's in the top 10. They got to play it. So then you hear Smells Like Teen Spirit, not only on MTV, but entering pop radio because it's it's in the Hot 100. That's crazy. But probably would not have happened six months prior. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. Wow. Wild moment. I had to mention it because I, I just, it didn't come up in my research on that episode and I'm kind of surprised. I would, I would love uh, to find someone that was like a promo director at the time. To, yeah. Because you have to imagine that if they really were, major labels really could change numbers that way, which we assume they can. Mm-hmm. In the sense of like, Michael Jackson's label can ship as many copies as they want. And probably sure, a lot of them will of sell. They know that. Yeah. But if they can manipulate the numbers that way, then yeah. when... And even, and even sub, you know... Sub, Sub Pop and Geffen co-released that record. They had Geffen money. They sure. had that. But like, they didn't know what was going to happen. They took a risk signing Nirvana. Huge risk. Right. But you can take a risk signing a band. You're not going to take a risk printing albums, printing CDs <laughs> until you know right. it's yeah, selling. Yeah, yeah, you yeah know? for sure. Yeah. And the, uh, I, I guess the first number one album, so not Hot 100, but first number one album on SoundScan what one sound scan happened was a skid row album that like didn't even have a big hit, <laughs> oh, wow. but just because all the fucking suburban dirt bags were buying it, <laughs> the record store and it was actually getting scanned before that it would have been kind of swept on the rug. It's like, uh, what? we'll figure it out. Right. Skid row is not gonna be number one. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Oh, so I now I have all this real time data, but, uh, yeah. So great podcast. Everybody should check out waiting for impact. Um, and also just had to, had to add to the Nirvana lore that we had explored. Love that. Probably right. 18 months ago now. <laughs> great mailbag. Great episode. This was fun. It was great, man. I'm so glad you co- I don't know why. I just knew. Hey, well, you know what? Let's wrap up. We're coming to summertime. Everybody should wear sunscreen. Anytime you wear sunscreen. Put some sunscreen on SPF. Hey, wear some sunscreen. Crack open a Sierra Nevada sunny little thing at the same time. Ooh, I like that. I like That's that. What I recommend. That's what I do. And hey, look, if All you right. if you don't have sunscreen, you can wear a, a new ball cap that you can buy from our website. Get that. Oh, that's true. Hit that oh. merch store. 
Get a ball cap to your, your head. Let's get the ball cap. Or you know what? Just dump Sunny little thing all over you, and uh, <laughs> it'll probably work, right? No, I'll find out. That'll be the next <laughs> mailbag. That's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted a Hit. Thanks for listening. Good luck getting that song out of your head. If you enjoyed the show, please do all the things podcasts usually ask you to. They really help. Tell a friend about the show, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, write a review on your favorite podcast app, and visit our website, ywahpod.com. That's ywahpod.com for updates on new episodes and our merch store. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, coffee mugs, stickers, and more. And it all goes back into the podcast. We would love to hear what you thought of the episode. And we also want to hear if there's something that we missed. You can reach us on Instagram and Twitter at ywahpod or directly via email at ywahpod at gmail.com. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Bible. And our theme music is by Hair Doctor. We'll see you next time.